0: Good morning. My mom and I went back to Columbia, Missouri last weekend to visit my hometown church. And the pastor there did something that I thought was really cool. He did a quiz for the kids. So if we could have the quiz up there on the screen, please. I'm going to ask you guys to listen today. And if you can answer three questions for me at the end of church, so all the way at the end after the blessing and the announcements, Come up to me, and if you have those three answers correct, I have a prize for you, okay? So the questions are, what kind of fruit did Jesus and his disciples hope to find on the tree? And if you were listening to the scripture reading, you might have the answer to that one already. And then, who fell out of the raft? That's your next question. And what was Ryan's wrestler name? Okay? So be thinking about those questions as we go through. And if you can come up at the end of church and give me three correct answers, I have a prize for you. As some of you know, my family has been making quite a few trips back to Michigan lately. On our last one, we were in the airport and had just put our shoes and belts on and taken our iPads out of the trays. I was still trying to get everything settled. As we made our way toward the food court area. And as we were walking, Anderson, our eight-year-old, said, Mama, what is your favorite part of coming to the airport? And I was a little distracted and I said, oh, I don't know, buddy, probably like when we get settled and we get something to eat. And then I realized, oh, the reason he's asking me is because He wants to tell me his favorite part. So I said, Anderson, out of everything, what do you like best about coming to the airport? And he said, well, even though I really like getting on the plane, probably my most favorite part is going through security. (laughs) Sometimes all we need is a change in perspective. And that day with Anderson has changed my perspective when it comes to airport security. Now when I look at that long line through his eyes, I see it as a fun adventure, or at least I try to, rather than as something to be dreaded. You never know if you'll wait in line 10 minutes or two hours. You don't know if you'll get the big machine that swishes around you, or if you'll go through the old metal detector with the kids. You never know if you'll be asked to remove all your liquids or toss out a chapstick. So today, I pray that God will change our perspectives where needed, and that most importantly, he will help us to see the world through his eyes. Would you please bow your heads with me? Father God, I thank you for this day to worship together as a church family. Please help us to see things as you would have us to see them. Please let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be found acceptable in your sight. Amen. In both Matthew and Mark, we find an unusual story. It is unusual because of the type of miracle Jesus performed. The ones he usually performed were to make something better than it was. But this time, Jesus is walking with his disciples before breakfast, and they see a fig tree in the distance that is full of leaves. However, when they get up to the tree, they see that it has no fruit on it. No ripe figs, no green figs, nothing. So Jesus speaks to the tree and says, May no one ever eat fruit from you. And then we know that they made their way to the temple, and we know the story there of how Jesus cast out the money changers. And then when Jesus and his disciples go by the fig tree the next day, they see that the tree is dead all the way to the roots. And this is the first and only time that I know of where we see that Jesus used the miracle not to make something better, but to make a point. Bill Johnson says this of the event in his book about the life and ministry of Jesus. The connection between the prophetic sign act and the temple is surely not coincidental the rot lay at the center of the nation's worship. Under many corrupted religious leaders, the temple had become a hollow show with scrupulous concern for ritual, but a place where love of money supplanted love for God. So far from God's plan and will had the temple services departed, so bankrupt of true spirituality that those who organized and led them, the priestly class, failed to recognize the Lord of the temple when he came to his own, and not merely not recognize, they set about to murder him. Leaves, abundant leaves, but no fruit here. This tree will never bear fruit, and it will be smitten by the divine hand withering to the roots. One would expect that those who served in the temple would provide models of spirituality for Israel. In Jesus' day, however, the exact opposite was the case. The high priestly office had become embroiled in politics and money-grubbing, and it was sold to the highest bidder. Some of you may be familiar with the podcast, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. It is the story of Mars Hill Church in Seattle and their charismatic pastor. The host, Mike Cosper, tells through interviews and detailed stories of his own time there how the church quickly became popular and attracted a membership of 12,000 every week. But he also tells of how that growth came at a high cost and how it came crashing down. There is a now infamous quote from the former pastor, Mark Driscoll, where he said, There is a pile of dead bodies behind the Mars Hill bus. By God's grace, it'll be a mountain by the time we're done. Either get on the bus or get run over by the bus. Those are the options, but the bus ain't going to stop. Throughout 15 hours of the podcast, there are lots of lessons brought out. Such as the importance of keeping our eyes on Jesus rather than a specific personality, or the danger of wanting growth above all else. But the part that stood out to me, <clears throat> excuse me, was when a former church member shared that even when things felt wrong, she stayed at the church because she kept reminded, reminding herself to look at the fruit. Her reasoning was that if so many people were attracted to this place, then that meant good things were happening. Surely baptisms and Bible studies and small groups were all signs of a thriving church and a sign of God's blessing. And the host, Mike Cosper, pointed out very poignantly, I thought, that the fruit of the Spirit is not tied to worldly success. But the fruit of the Spirit, may we have that? Thank you so much. But the fruit of the Spirit is love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self-control against such there is no law I'd like to read that passage again but this time from the message paraphrase and we will read through to verse 24 so if you're following along in your bibles it's galatians 5:22 to 24 But what happens when we live God's way? He brings gifts into our lives much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, and a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. Legalism is helpless in bringing this about. It only gets in the way. Among those who belong to Christ, everything connected with getting our own way and mindlessly responding to what everyone calls necessities is killed off for good, crucified, there are times that the Bible speaks about healthy church growth. In Acts two forty six and 47, it says, "...and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they partook of food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved." I just love to imagine what this time would have been like. The church members were so filled with the spirit that they had favor with all the people. That is really hard to imagine. And then it doesn't say that they added to their numbers each day, but it says the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That is just so powerful. We say, Jesus, take the wheel, but then we exhaust ourselves trying to grab hold of it and drive the bus ourselves. As some of you might imagine, and some have witnessed, I live in a house filled with music. Aliyah and the kids and I love all types. So when we're making dinner, or cleaning, or riding in the car, we are usually listening, dancing, drumming or singing along with some type of music. When the kids were babies, I started singing to them to get them to sleep. And this worked pretty well until they learned the songs, and instead of going to sleep, they'd start singing along with me. So a lot of nights, even though Ellie and Anderson are older now, I will still sometimes sit in their rooms and sing something until they drift off. But I've learned I need to choose songs they don't know, and so lately I've been choosing old hymns. The more verses, the better. And of course, I don't know all the words and verses to these, so what I will do is I'll sit on the end of their bed and I'll do a quick Google search. Without fail, when I do this, the first link will be lyrics to the song, which is great. But the second and third links will invariably be people arguing about the theology of the hymn lyrics this one says the earth will soon dissolve like snow but nowhere in the bible does it say the earth will actually dissolve like snow or you ask me how i know he lives he lives within my heart a better theology would say you ask me how i know he lives he lives because the bible says he lives or blessed assurance, this isn't my story and this isn't my song. And these are actually lifted from uh, these people arguing online. So I'm a little horrified sometimes at how critical supposed spirit-filled Christians are. Yes, we have knowledge and truth, but sometimes the things we choose to talk about and share with that knowledge is appalling. The hymns are just one example, but I'm sure you can think of multiple times that you have experienced a Christian using knowledge with you and wishing they were using love instead. Last week, Pastor Jeff talked about when Jesus cast out a demon, and he pointed out that the demons had the truth. They knew and recognized who Jesus was, but what they didn't have was a belief and faith in him. I wanted to talk about the spirits of the fruit, uh, the fruits of the spirit, sorry. I wanted to talk about the fruits of the spirit today because I think this is something that was very important to Jesus. It wasn't enough for the Jewish nation to have just the knowledge of who he was. They say the difference between knowledge and wisdom goes like this. Knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit but wisdom is knowing that a tomato does not belong in a fruit salad when jesus cursed the fig tree as an example of the jewish nation he wasn't upset that the jews hadn't added to their own numbers and he wasn't upset that they hadn't preserved truth perfectly jesus was disappointed with the jewish nation because they had not borne the fruits of love joy forbearance peace kindness goodness faithfulness and self-control when we are asked to bear fruit it is not productivity at work or amassing more money or even doing more within the church sorry pastor jeff god is calling us to be fruitful in exhibiting the fruits of the spirit he is calling us to live our lives full of joy, with patience for ourselves and others, faithfulness to God, gentleness with our children, self-control with our emotions, goodness in our thoughts, and peace within our lives. This time of year is always a stressful one for my family. We homeschool, And it is usually late April that I start panicking because we're not even close to the end of our math books. Our businesses are coming to the end of a long, slow season, so I'm always full of worry about what the next season will bring. And by this point in the year, we have been stuck inside with cold weather that I'm sure we will never see the sun again. And it's funny because I wrote this a little bit ago, and then this morning we have gorgeous sunshine, so that fear is dissipating. But I know that for others of you, it's even worse. You're planning graduations at this time, birthday parties, taking care of sick family members, and just trying to keep your head above water. I wanted to share a few statistics that I found about stress and anxiety in America that I found interesting. Anxiety is the most common mental disorder in the US, affecting 40 million adults. Nearly half of survey respondents experience anxiety regularly. 19 million adults experience specific phobias, making it the most common anxiety disorder in America. 15 million adults have social anxiety. 7.7 million have PTSD. 6.8 million have generalized anxiety, and 6 million adults have panic disorders. Around 7 in 10 adults have experienced additional health impacts due to stress, including feeling overwhelmed, experiencing changes in sleeping habits, and or worrying constantly. That was 30% of those surveyed. As I was reading about the fruits of the Spirit over the past few weeks, I was just so encouraged. And I hope you are too. The fruits of the Spirit are not another list of things we have to work harder at. They are not this really grandiose to-do list. Rather, they are gifts that we receive when we invite the Holy Spirit to live within us. Specifically, we are promised that we will be given the fruit of peace. I think in our American society, especially, we have confused fruits of the Spirit with fruits of our labor. Abraham Lincoln said, prosperity is the fruit of labor. John Locke said, all wealth is the product of labor. And a French man, whose name I cannot pronounce, said, the fruits of labor are the sweetest of all pleasure. And these men are not wrong. It is a wonderful thing to work hard and receive a reward for that work. It is a very natural thing to enjoy the fruits of our labor. But I find it so interesting that in nearly every instance, Jesus says or does the opposite of what we find natural or what we expect. In the case of the ancient Jews, they must have thought that they had everything figured out. They worked hard to govern everything they did. Maybe more importantly, they worked hard to govern what everyone else did. And because of their rules for health and rituals, I imagine they were a very hardworking, healthy, clean society. But Jesus was not impressed by them. In fact, he called them whitewashed tombs. Jesus knew everything that the temple could be and was deeply saddened by what it had become. Jesus challenged people over and over not to work harder, but to love better. A couple summers ago, we joined Elias cousins for a whitewater rafting trip on the Poudre River. You know how it is living in Colorado. You do all the really cool Colorado stuff only when people come to visit from out of town. So we had gotten up really early that morning, and we were the last ones to arrive at the rafting place. Aliyah had woken up with a bad migraine, so I drove us, but I went to the wrong place first, so we were off to a bad start. And then to make it worse, when we walk up to the group with our cousins in it, there's a rafting guide already at the front giving them safety instructions. And he made a point of stopping his talk to say something like, glad you guys could join us today. This guy was your typical rafting guide. He was shirtless, tan and muscly, and of course was sporting a man bun. All of the girl cousins under 20 were immediately smitten. Aliyah was immediately not. And it's funny because Aliyah is usually the one making corny jokes. But when Manbun made his jokes, Aliyah would just roll his eyes and look at me like this guy. So we get out to the river and the guides start dividing us into groups. Those three in this raft, you two over there, this raft... Eliah, Ellie, Anderson, and myself are, of course, put into Man Bun's raft. He points to Eliah and says, I'm going to be steering in the back, I want you paddling hard in the front. And out of everyone in our group, Eliah is the least excited about this trip, but he goes along with it and gets in front of the raft. His head still hurts, he doesn't wanna be outside on the water today, and he's had it up to here with Man Bun. So we get out on the river, and the water's pretty smooth, but just to be safe, we have placed Ellie, Anderson, and their cousin Cecilia in the middle of the raft. At the time, Anderson would have been seven years old, and Ellie was nine. So we're going along, following all the instructions being called out from the back, and our guide tells us, okay, pay attention on this next part. We have some class four rapids coming up. No sooner has he said this than the raft hits rough water and our lightweight Ellie pops out of the raft. I, Aliyah and I both at the same time feel terrified. We are feeling kind of paralyzed too because we've been told from the instructions to stay in the raft, but we both are fighting the urge to just jump in the water and grab our daughter. So in that moment, and I don't know how he did it, Man Bun, from the back of the raft, digs in his paddle, turns the raft 180 degrees, braces himself against the raft, reaches over with one of those muscly, tanned arms, grabs Ellie by the life vest, and pulls her back into the boat in one perfect motion. Aliyah looked at me across the raft and said, I love this guy. (laughs) You can look great on the outside, but are you bearing fruit? When it was important, our guide wasn't just a tree full of pretty leaves. He knew what he was doing, and he was there when we needed him. I hear people say a lot that when we talk about loving people, that we are somehow watering down the gospel. And this bothers me a lot Because the gospel is love, and love is not easy. Jesus came to earth because he loves us, to show us love, to set an example for us of how we are to love other people. Everything about the gospel is love. Matthew 7, 16 to 20 says, you will know them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorns, or figs from thistles? So every sound tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears evil fruit. A sound tree cannot bear evil fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will know them by their fruits." I feel honored to be part of a church family whose motto is live love. And I just want to affirm you in this today. I see you taking care of family members, drawing in those who are on the outskirts, and nurturing the youngest among us. In fact, I wanted to give a shout out to Kyle. And I don't know, I haven't seen him yet today, but. Um, i am so impressed with the way kyle loves and leads our youth here at the church and i am mentioning this because i'm afraid many of you don't know this like i didn't Um, what our youth have been up to do you know that just a few weeks ago kyle had the whole youth group in the kitchen downstairs making meals to take to our local homeless shelter and they weren't your average shelter meals either Kyle had these teenagers making gourmet sliders and glazed carrots. And this is just one example. I see God at work in our church and within our people. And I want you to be encouraged by this, because if I can see how wonderful you are, how much more does God see and love who you are? One of my favorite authors is Brant Hansen. He wrote the book, Unoffendable, which I have recommended in the past. If you have still not read it, I want to recommend it again. It's one of those books that I believe the world would be a better place if everyone read it. Hansen is a radio host, and he wrote an article called, The Way We Do Things Matters. I had a really hard time choosing a short quote, so go ahead and just get settled in, because I'm gonna read to you for a minute here. We can do wonderful things for the wrong reasons. Jesus makes it clear that there will be those saying, but Lord, didn't we insert powerful ministry stuff? And didn't we insert other impressive ministry stuff? And he'll tell them he never knew them. What people are impressed by and what God is impressed by are very different things. As always, God's concern is the heart Our motives some of us act religious for the same selfish reasons others are good we're scared of being left out of civil society we want others to think highly of us and most powerfully we want to feel good about ourselves none of those motives are holy and yet they drive the appearance of much holiness but doesn't God always love a big festival or gathering as long as it's in his name No, he despises some religious festivals and some assemblies are a stench to him. I know this because he says, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Not subtle. But we still think a big gathering or successful spiritual sounding enterprise must surely be righteous. We're kidding ourselves. The why matters. Just look at the fruit though. This ministry may have built people for millions, but you can't argue with the fruit. A fruit check is a great idea. What's really going on? I once talked on air about how God favors the humble and how God chooses the poor. I got the usual call. Rant. God doesn't favor anyone over anyone else. And sure, he loves poor people, but he doesn't choose them over anyone else. And yet, the Bible says God favors the humble and did not God choose the poor. He chose the weak to shame the strong. The way we do things matters. When we exhibit the fruits of the Spirit, people want to be like us. My sister, Danny told me about how she was listening in as her boys were wrestling the other day. Graham, who was quite a bit older than Ryan, was gently throwing him around and playing like he was a big wrestler. At one point, Danny heard Graham say, hey, Ryan, to be wrestlers, we need to have wrestling names. I'm going to be Spider-Man. What is your wrestling name going to be? And Ryan thought for a minute, and then he said, I'm going to be a big, strong guy. My wrestling name is daddy we are told in acts 2 that the promise of the gift of the holy spirit is for all believers in all generations this means that the holy spirit is a gift intended for every one of us come as you are and you will be given this incredible gift I believe Jesus chose fruit as the metaphor because it is so good and beautiful. He didn't say, come to me and bear the cruciferous vegetables of the Spirit. No, we are to bear colorful, delicious, beautiful fruit. My hope and prayer today is that as we fix our eyes on Jesus, and ask for the Holy Spirit to fill us, that we will blossom with the fruits of the Spirit. May we become more loving, more peaceful, more patient, and more generous. May we draw others in, as through His Spirit, we become more like Daddy.